CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there. We're live at the NASDAQ market site. The guys are getting ready behind me. Here's what's coming up on the show. It all comes down to earnings for the banks next week. We'll tell you which stock traders see having the biggest move. And right now, GM shares had their best week in five years. But there's something in the charts that suggests now might be the time to tap the brakes. We'll explain. And so just how low can the VIX go? The answer might surprise you. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins right now. And let's get to it because a number of big banks are kicking off earnings season next week. J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Bank of America and Wells Fargo all set to report. And the options market is implying some sizable moves for these stocks. The numbers are all right there. Take a look. This as the sector hits its highest level in almost 10 years today. So how do you play it? Let's get in the money. Mike, you're looking at J.P. Morgan. Why? Yeah, well, first of all, because I think this company is the best of the sector for sure. But I think the important point I would make right now is that obviously we've seen that volatility has been exceptionally low. We have also seen the market rise up until today, basically in a record stretch. I think it would be very difficult to go into earnings at this stage after the run that these things have had without trying to mitigate the risk by using options. They're not that expensive. I'm going to get to the trade, and we can talk about the banks in a second. But I'm just looking out to December. I was looking at the 97 and a half, 105 call spread. You could spend $2.80 for the 97 and a half. Sell the 105s against it for 60 cents. That's $2.20 to make your bullish bet. That's the first out-of-the-money strike for J.P. Morgan, so it doesn't take much of a move for this trade to be profitable. And, of course, if things don't turn out so hot, that's all you're risking. I agree with Mike, and it's great to be on the OA MCC here. Dan Nathan's. I don't know where Dan is far Dan away. Brand. Can't you can't be far away enough. But sorry, Dan, just kidding. JP Morgan is best in breed. It's also, I think, the most expensive in the space as well. If you look at it where it trades price to book, you're talking about a stock now that's probably closing in on about 1.8 times or so price to book. I think that's expensive in the environment that we find ourselves in. Not to suggest it can't go higher from here, but I think there are better places to be. I would tend to favor Citibank at these levels. I think that's the cheapest in the space. Dan, what do you think? Would you, be, would you put on a bullish trade like Mike has here? Yeah, you know, I've said this on the desk a couple times over the last few months that, you know, even when uh, J.P. Morgan was trading at 90, if the market's going to go higher, if rates are going to go higher, this stock's going to trade $100. I think Mike's trade is really setting up for a breakout above $100. He's basically risking one to make two with the earnings catalyst um, in the next week. So to me, I I like the risk-reward of the trade. Um, I actually don't think you're going to see a scenario just on earnings where J.P. Morgan is just going to fall out of bed. But it's really important to note that I don't know if we have a one-year chart. This stock just ran 10% since the start of September. What happened in the start of September? We started to get some increasingly better economic data. We started getting more confidence about the potential for tax reform in 2017. And rates started rising. So uh, an interest rate hike at at the December meeting is now a near certainty. So there's a lot of good news in the stock. So this is one of the reasons why I like Mike's trade. If you're inclined to be bullish, you're defining your risk. Option premiums are low. um, And the stock has already run. So to me, this sets up pretty decently if you're worried about downside into the event. 
You know, I want to make a couple quick points. First, first of all, with respect to tangible book value, it's definitely true. This is a stock that basically if you take its peak valuations and then the trough valuations, the mean tangible book has been about two times what, you know, and we're getting very close to those numbers now. That's a little bit of a challenge. But the good news is for J.P. Morgan that they're growing their tangible book value faster than any of the banks, about 10% per year. So that obviously is one of the reasons why they justify a slightly higher multiple on that metric. The other thing, you know, Yellen saying maybe she's going to look at pulling back regulations, that's a big deal. Jamie Dimon himself said earlier, about three weeks ago, that there's probably $2 trillion in U.S. mortgages that didn't get issued that probably should have. You loosen those regulations just a little bit. Think about this also. Assets under management are probably going to double in the next 10 years. The number of billion-dollar companies going to double in the next 10 years. And those are long-term tailwinds. Probably won't be reflected in earnings. But if you want to be well, long What do you stock, think about guys saying he'd rather be in city? I still think you always have to buy the best one in the space. And again, you have to think about the multiple in context of growth. And they're growing tangible book faster than City is. And that's why it trades on a That is true. I know, and I'll tell just to back up Mike's point, I guess, but not that he needs me to help him, but I think with everything that's going on with Wells Fargo now, Wells Fargo is going to lose to everything that Mike spoke about. I think people have very long memories. I think you might see people of mortgage origination. They might move from Wells Fargo, which has historically been the dominating bank. So I think a lot of things that are ailing Wells could help other banks, specifically JPM. Now to the autos. The group kicking into high gear in the last month. And the real standout, General Motors, surging 20% to a new all-time high. This, as Ford, Toyota, and Fiat Chrysler, they're all up around 7%. GM rallying 11% this week alone and getting $5 billion in market cap. But, Dan, you think it might be time to put on the brakes on GM? No doubt about it. MCC, I mean, this stock is up 29% on the year, today closing at an all-time high from its post-financial crisis IPO highs here. 25% um, or so has come since late August. So what have we seen? Last month, we saw Deutsche Bank uh, basically get really excited about the potential with, um, with autonomous driving, electric vehicles and the like, and kind of raise their rating on the stock. And then today, Citibank is saying that they think that this company, given some of the technology drivers they have, should possibly get a multiple of 15 times earnings. Currently, it's trading about seven times. They see a path to $134 in the next few years. To me, I just think it's gone a little too far too fast here because a lot of the stuff that this company needs to transition to do is going to take some time. When you think about it from an earnings standpoint, I mean, earnings are expected to decline next year, year over year. So this is a very cyclical story. There's obviously some huge secular um, headwinds. In the near term, we know that we have earnings on October 24th. I think it sets up as a trade to consolidate at the recent breakout level. And I want to look to November expiration, playing for a move back to that breakout level down near 40. When the stock was trading 44.80 today, you could buy the November 44.40 put spread, paying 80 cents for that. That breaks even at 43.20 on the downside. That's about 3.5% to the downside. And you can make profits of up to $3.20 down to 40 That is your max gain. That's down about 10%. Here's the setup for this trade. I'm risking 80 cents, a little less than 2%, to make possibly $3.20 um, if the stock were to retrace that move. And I think earnings could be that catalyst. I think investors have gotten a little uh, ahead of themselves here, and they may get some guidance that considers uh, that, that makes them consider being a little bit more sober about the recent move here. So I like this move, this trade as a check back to that breakout to 40 bucks. Mike, do you like this trade? I, I definitely like the trade structure a great deal going into a catalyst like this. You know, it's interesting when you look at a company like General Motors, these are, these are companies that tend to have a little bit 
more leverage. They obviously are a much more cyclical industry typically. And yet here he's actually able to put on an options trade going into a catalyst at a very reasonable level. That said, I am actually a buyer of General Motors for the long term. I think when people think about the secular headwinds that the domestic automakers face, they should probably spend more time looking at miles traveled than they should be taking a look at whether or not millennials are actually going to be the ones running out and buying the cars. I actually think the car business is, you know, basically trading at a big discount to where I think it deserves to be in about five years' time. And I agree with that as well. It is trading at a discount, but there's a long way from where GM currently trades to 15 times forward multiples. When you're talking about a company that's going to make $6 this year, probably close to $6 or a tad less next year. I understand the tremendous tailwinds they seem to be enjoying. And kudos to Karen Feynman and Tim Seymour, who on a little so-called fast money, which you just hosted, have been all over this now for quite some time. I would submit, though, we're right up against levels, effectively, that we saw at the end of 2013. This might be the most important quarter, and I think it comes on October 26th in the history of now, not your father's GM, your son's GM, which now has been a publicly traded company for, what, the last five or six years? You know, Extraordinarily important. Dan, I'm no technician, but I look at the one-year chart, and it certainly looks parabolic, to your point about it moving so fast very recently. Yeah, and I would just say, if you agree with everything that these guys said about the fundamentals with GM, in a lot of ways, you'd love to see this stock pull back a little bit and consolidate, because if it goes straight to 50 bucks here, it's discounting a lot of stuff that has to happen in 2018. So to me, if you miss this move, I think buying it at 45 is not the right trade. Wait for a consolidation. Maybe play for, if you're a trader, for a move back to that breakout level near 40, and then it sets up for a good play into 2018. Got it. All right, we have much more options action, she tried to say, still ahead. Here's what's coming up on the rest of the show. Look at the so-called fear index, because it's plummeting. But that might be a frightful thing for your portfolio. We'll break it down. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air. When options action returns... Welcome back to Options Action. I'm Dominic Chu. We saw the VIX close at historic lows on Thursday, and that means that trend of selling volatility continues to work. So far in 2017, the VIX has closed below the 10 level on 29 different days. If you include today, it's actually traded below the 10 level on an intraday basis for the 53rd time this year. That's a record, which also means around three quarters of all VIX trades ever under 10 have happened just this year. But there is a sense that folks are betting on higher volatility in the coming weeks. According to data from the CBOE, open interest for VIX call options is now 3.7 times more than open interest for VIX put options. Earlier today, we took a look at call options on the Spider S&P 500 ETF, that ticker SPY, that are 10% above current market levels. Those 280 calls cost $0.07. Cents. Meanwhile, put options 10% below the market, 228 levels, were trading for around $0.90. Cents. So it costs a lot more on a relative basis to protect against more than a 10% drop in the S&P than it does to protect against a rise of more than 10% in the S&P. Now, Michelle, to be fair, generally speaking, downside protection costs more than upside protection. Still, though, with the VIX at these levels, some traders may be looking at buying some relatively cheaper insurance. Back over to you guys. Thanks, Dom. Good rundown. So how can you tell if options are expensive or cheap? How can you buy protection? Mike's at the plasma with the call to action. 
So you'll often hear us talking about volatility, and really there's two types of volatility that you want to concern yourself with if you're trying to establish whether or not you want to be a buyer or seller of options. The first one is implied volatility. This is what you figure out if the options market is expecting the market to do in the future. So when options premiums are high, you're expecting greater volatility. And then, of course, there's realized volatility. This is what the market actually delivers. Right now, what we've been seeing, we can take a look here, both are actually quite low. This gap that you see right here represents essentially how expensive options are. Are they pricing in a lot more volatility than the market is actually experiencing? And right here, we can actually see there is a bit of a gap. However, I do think we've hit pretty much a floor. So I think with the markets at these highs, the best way to make a play right now is to look out to January. I was looking at this today with the SPY trading around 254. You could buy that put for $5.25, which is about 2% of the underlying. Bear in mind, SPY is also due to pay a $1.35 dividend. You factor that in, this is really a very cheap way to get some protection. If you don't have any position on, I wouldn't even mind just being long SPY right here and buying this put as a very cheap call option. All right, got it. Nathan, Dan Nathan, what do you think of Mike's trade here? All right, Caruso Cabrera, we're, it's on here. I, I actually <laughs> think it makes perfect sense what Mike is saying. I mean, the spread between realized um, and implied is making owning options look really attractive in an index ETF like the SPY. When you think about it, I look at that chart. It just broke out at 250. It's gone straight up about five bucks. Mike is looking at a put that expires in January that is the width or is the amount that it gained on the week, the SPY. So to me, the break-even down just below 250 looks really attractive. I think if we get a correction in 2017, we're going straight back to 240, and this is protection that you would want to own um, against a portfolio of stocks. I just want one more point about this sort of, uh, you know, put trading against a portfolio. You want to be tactical about it, you know, and we're at all-time highs here. Sentiment is really bullish, and complacency seems very high. So I think the timing makes sense. I mean, I have a question here, which I want to pose to my man Guy God, and like over here. The technical. Listen, that straddle costs 10 bucks. What do you think the chances are that SPY could move $10 up or down by January expiration? Excellent. What do you think the chances? I think the chances are excellent. I would put them north of 50%. Why do I say that? We don't have enough time to talk about my dis dislike for our Federal Reserve. I'm sure MCC is in that camp as well, although she won't say it. But I think what they've done over the last year, their eight years, is they're the ones that have taken volatility down. Now, as they unwind things, I think volatility is going to start to creep back into the marketplace. So as we get into another Fed meeting, Fed starts to raise, they start to pull back that balance sheet, volatility will return. So to answer your question cogently, I think the chances are excellent. Satisfied, Mike? I'm absolutely satisfied. I'm glad you support this idea. I definitely think these options are a buy. What's that smug look on your face, Dan? I, you know, I, I, a guy just said that his explanation was cogent. And, you know, sitting out here behind, in front of the Bay Bridge, I wasn't feeling cogent. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> you weren't, you, I mean, what? what about his underlying premise, though, that as the Fed unwinds, volatility's got to come back? I agree. I mean, listen, MCC, we, we talk about this every day on the desk. I mean, we can't, no one can think of a reason why the S&P is going to go down. So ultimately, there will be a reason. And I think that that's as good as any. But again, I think the main premise of Mike's idea here is that option prices are cheap. And if you're looking for protection into year end, into the start of the year, this is a really good way to do it. Got it. All right. Still ahead, Netflix surging more than 8% to new all-time highs this week. And that's great news for Mike Coe, who may have put on one of the best trades ever.
and the long and illustrious history of options action. We'll tell you what we mean. Plus, if you got a question, please send us a tweet. If it's nice, we might read it later in the show. Much more options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to look back at some of our open trades. Two weeks ago, Co and Carter said Netflix was going to break out. It's a well-defined channel. I mean, literally. And this is just parallel lines right off of a computer. I'm thinking at a minimum is that we're going to make it back to the high of the channel. I thought the way to play this was to look at the November 170, 190, 200 call spread risk reversal. When I was looking at this, if you bought the 190, 200 call spread and then sold the 170 puts against it, you'd collect about 25 cents. Well, Netflix soaring since then. Stock is up 6% since the time of that trade and hitting another record high today. You may have noticed Carter is not on the desk today, but he did send us a postcard from the very exotic Salisbury, Connecticut. He writes... The presumption is there's more to come from Netflix. Stay long, be long, and see you guys next week. All right. Congratulations, Mike. Good trade. What's your next move? My next move actually would be to take profits on this options trade and take a portion of those and just roll out and buy an upside call spread. I'm not that comfortable being short puts anymore. And actually, that was a fair point that Dan made last week, but it worked out for us this time. But I'm not going to continue to risk that downside any longer. You are you are highlighting in a very nice way that Dan Nathan was critical of that trade last week, right? No, I was just critical of one component of it. Just I think that they had the direction right. Um, I just said, I guess they said in a real complacent market in a name like Netflix, I don't love the idea of selling a downside put because if you're wrong, that really kind of complicates things. But I like the way Mike is managing this trade. Yeah, I mean, the quick point I would make about this is that although options premiums are very low in a lot of places, Netflix wasn't one of them. And that was one of the reasons why I was looking at that call spread and also selling that put. So for those of you who are watching and wondering why sometimes it seems like those trades are slightly complicated it's because that implied volatility we talked about earlier can be high in some stocks like it was in this one God, great job by the oa gang even even dan and i'll say this i think it's a good idea by michael to be taking money off the table in earnings on october 16th when as we know anything can happen still a bull but there's nothing wrong with booking profits especially into this quarter moving on about a month ago dan nathan bet that the greenback was headed higher to me, you know, we also, let's just look at the UUP chart really quickly. It got almost as close as 27. It just bounced off at 24. That was the double bottom. I want to look out to January expiration. When the ETF was trading 24 and a quarter today, you could buy the January 24, 26 call spread. Well, the dollar has been rallying, hitting its highest level since July today. So, Dan, what do you do now? Well, this is an interesting setup here, MCC, because, you know, two months has elapsed here, and the ETF is just a little bit higher, not much higher than where it was, yet the call spread, the $2 wide call spread, is basically trading at the level in which I bought it. Volatility, implied volatility, the price of options in the UUP was pretty cheap, and it's remained cheap, but because we've had a slight move upward, um, this, this trade is still very much in play. So because we have until January expiration, I think you leave it on. It's a near certainty that the Fed's going to raise in December. Here, I think you could see a bounce in the dollar, retrace a bit of that year, the, the move from the highs uh, earlier this year. So maybe you see 25 and a half over the next couple months, then I'd take this thing off. After a long downtrend, obviously, in the dollar, it's finally starting to move in Dan's direction. I absolutely agree. You should stick with this trade and give it a little bit of time to play out. Guy? 
I think there's a chance it gets to 25. But if you look at the UUP, we're still in a very well-defined downtrend. So if I were looking at it, I think a close above 25 and a half suggests we break out to the upside and then all bets are off. Then it can really run. I think it stalls at 25, though. Coming up next, your tweets and the final call. Don't move. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first fan, Chris, says, someone tell Guy to take off his tie. All right. You want, uh, since, uh, listen, I'll do it. I generally don't do things like this. But... Hold on. You've got to keep the mic up well, so I nobody can't can hear you. Okay, yes. Yeah, how's that? How's that, Dan, or fan? Say yeah. <laughs> that, even Dan. How's that? <laughs> don't play any music or anything. Our next, Thank you. <laughs> our next fan asks, I own 500 shares of GM at 35 bucks. It's a long-term investment. Should I do a covered call? If so, what price and expiration? Dan. Well, I, I, listen, here's the thing. You're deep in the money now. You basically own this stock. Um, you know, the idea of maybe possibly rolling that premium up or selling some calls against it. But I suspect because it's outperformed so dramatically, you can think it's going to continue to do so. So to me, you, you have a lot of optionality here. Um, break open Mike's options edge, but there's a lot of things in there that you can do against your deep in the money calls. All right. Let's move on now to the final call. The last word from the options pit. Dan. Uh, yes, it's GM. I like to put spreads in November. Mike. You know, with options as cheap as they are and you own the market, you got to buy those puts in SPY, January 254. Guy. Isn't it fun being with the OA guys? It's MCC? great. I mean, this has been a gas. A gas, yes. Big week for financials next week. That's what G Swizzle's looking at. Looks like our time has expired. I'm Michelle Caruso-Cabrera. We'll see you next week at 530. Don't go anywhere, though, because you know what begins right now? Mad Money. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.